Twice a day, every day, we recite Kriya Shema. And in the paragraphs of Kriya Shema, we make mention about our love, our connection, our relationship, our affinity toward HaKadosh Baruch Hu and everything that that means to us as people. But in truth, it's somewhat amorphous. It's somewhat undefined. What exactly does it mean to have Avas Hashem? We talk about Vahavtas Hashem Elokecha B'chalavavcha what does it mean to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu in practical terms? How exactly does that manifest itself in our day-to-day practical lives? What are we supposed to do to show an Avas Hashem? How do we exhibit this love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So we turn to Gemara Meseches Yuma, Pevav Amadalev. Says the Gemara, Ve'ahavta es Hashem alokecha. What does it mean, Ve'ahavta es Hashem alokecha? Says the Gemara, She'yehei Shem Shamayim Mis'ahev al Yadcha that the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu should feel appreciated, should be elevated, should be loved because of you. That's what Avas Hashem means. Fascinating. So I would have thought Avas Hashem means I should do all kinds of different things that express my relationship, that express my commitment, that show my love. No, says the Gemara. Avas Hashem means living a certain kind of lifestyle that other people are going to have an attitude, a perspective that Shem Shamayim Mis'ahev Al-Yadcha. People are going to walk away inspired and say, wow, this is really what a God-fearing Jew is all about. Says the Gemara as follows. Obviously, a God-fearing Jew and anyone that wants to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to be Korev, Obviously, number one, says the Gemara, you have to be learned, you have to be educated. If you don't know how to navigate the system of Jewish life, you're not going to be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu properly. So that goes without saying, says the Gemara. You have to learn, Kore, Vishone, Umeshamish Tamidechachamim. Beyond that, says the Gemara, Yehei Maso, Umatano Benachasim Habrios. We should live lives where we are calm and patient and understanding of others who we interact with. And Mahabrios Omris Alav, what do people say about you? When they see the way you engage in business, the way you engage with others, your sensitivities toward other people, Ashrei Aviv Shalim Do Torah, Ashrei Rabo Shalim Do Torah, people walk away and say how fortunate their teachers are that they have a student, that they have a child who is so special like this individual. That's what Avas Hashem means. Says the Gemara, that's what Ahavas Hashem means. Amazing. The Gemara says that the objective of anyone who loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that a person who interacts with you should walk away with a sensational feeling that I feel bad that my children didn't have the education that you had. I feel bad that my children don't live in the community that you live in. I feel I feel at a disadvantage that my family is not in a position to be living the same kind of lifestyle that you're living. That's what Avas Hashem means. To love HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the point that other people who see me are going to want to have this kind of life for themselves as well. Which is very interesting. Normally when we have mitzvahs that we have an opportunity to fulfill throughout the year, it's God tells me I should shake the lulav, I should blow the shofar, I should read the Megillah, I should light Hanukkah candles, I should do all kinds of different things. And what I have to do is make sure that whenever the time comes, I do that mitzvah. That's very defined, it's very clear. When it comes to Avas Hashem, it's not so clear at all. I can do all those mitzvahs. I can shake the lulav, and I can read the Megillah, and I can light the Hanukkah candles, and I can do everything that I'm supposed to do, but that's not enough. Avas Hashem means that other people who engage with me have to walk away with a certain feeling. And that's much harder. That's much more difficult. Because that's not always in my hands. I can make sure that I shake the lulav. I can make sure I show up to shul and I read the Megillah. I can make sure I sit in the sukkah and that I keep Shabbos. It's very hard to make sure that other people who are going to see the way I live will walk away with a positive impression. That's much more difficult. But that's Avas Hashem. The Sifri writes very interestingly in Sefer Tevarim, V'ahavta es Hashem alokecha. What does it mean, says the Medrash? Ahaveyu alhabrios ka'avram avicha. You should make HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved to other people, just like Avram Avinu. Where do we find about Avram Avinu? As the Torah says, V'ashanefesh asher asu becharan. What does it mean that Avram Avinu made people? What does it mean? My son was reading some kind of 
something yesterday, a Jewish book, and he said, what is the golem of the Maharal? I said, it's a long story. What's the golem of Prague? Not clear if it ever happened. But there are some stories about people who have created a golem before. But ask the Medrash, what does it mean? Avraham Avinu made people? Is that really to be understood in its literal sense? After all, listen to the way, the dramatic way in which the Medrash asked the question. Vehalo, don't we know? If every single human being in the world would come together, every scientist, every brilliant person, every great mind would come together, put their minds together, come on a committee and say, you know, we want to create a yitush echad. What does yitush mean? A fly. We would like to create a fly. And we want to infuse that insect with life. Says the Medrash, as brilliant as we are, and as advanced as science can be, we wouldn't have the ability to successfully complete that mission. So if that's the case, says the Medrash, you're telling me that Avram Avinu was able to create people? We can't even create the smallest insect, the smallest rodent, the smallest fly. So what does it mean? As Hanefesh Asher Asu Bukharan says, the Medrash Melameda comes to teach us, Shehaya Avram Avinu Megayram Machnisam Tachas Kanfei Ashchina. Avram Avinu was Megayr people. Avram Avinu gave them over the values. And that's considered as if you're creating someone. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a member of the community and you give over a good message to another younger individual, you give over a positive feeling, a positive perspective, and because of that, their life changes. It's as if you've created them. You have made them. Hanefesh asher asubuchar, and that's what it means. And says the Medrash, we should be, We should allow ourselves to take that same opportunity and allow others to appreciate God in our lives the same way we appreciate it. That's part of Avas Hashem. That's what Vahavta Hashem Elokecha actually means. So the Rambam and the Sefer HaMitzvah actually says that Avas Hashem has two different aspects that are very much connected to each other. Number one, says the Rambam, we have a personal obligation. We have to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu personally, inside. Vizem, what does that mean? We have to understand and delve deeply into everything about Judaism, everything about God, until we understand it. That's number one, Avas Hashem. That's a personal, individual obligation that we all have. But beyond that, says the Rambam, what else are we supposed to do? Mitzvah zu kolelas gamkein shenidrosh v'nikraha anashim kulam la'avodaso yis'ale ulaham in bo. Says the Rambam, it's far more inclusive than that. It's not just that I should understand. It's not just that I should delve into things, but rather that I should expand that to as many people as I can. And why, says the Rambam? Why is that my obligation? Why should I do that? The Rambam says, if you appreciate something, you want others to appreciate it as well. It's just natural. It makes sense. I'm not a sports fan. I don't care for sports at all. But I've seen many sports fans. And it amazes me. A sports fan is not happy just to keep it inside what happened last night in the game. That's never something that gives them pleasure. What gives them pleasure? When they talk about the highlights of the game and they come, of course, in shul the next morning, they have to talk about it because uh, to talk about it in shul, in the middle of davening, to talk about sports. Why do you want to talk about sports? What's the difference? You want to talk about it because you enjoy it. Part of the pleasure is that you share the experience with other people. You want other people to appreciate this amazing game or that amazing play or this great call or whatever it was that something happened. What does it matter to you whether they watched it or they didn't, whether they heard about it or they didn't hear about it? You enjoyed it. The answer is it's more pleasurable when you share that experience with other people. And therefore, says the Rambam, it's natural that any time an individual appreciates something, they want to share it with others. They want to share the experience. Shouldn't it be the same with Abbas Hashem? If you appreciate a life living connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then wouldn't you want to share that with others? What else would you want to do? The same way in every other area and aspect of our lives, we do share the things that are important and meaningful to us with other people. So too we should want to share the value of a Jewish life. Now, 
the premise of that is that you have to actually value it. If you don't value your connection to Judaism, if you don't value your connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why would you share it? I'm stuck. I'm shackled. I was born into this family. I wish I wasn't here. So we spoke about two weeks ago. Opting in or opting out. If I was given the opportunity today and HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to me and said, you have a choice to either opt into Judaism or to start all over and opt out, what would you choose? I would venture to say there are many people who would say, let me get rid of these tuition bills. Let me get rid of this very difficult life living as a Jew and the prices in the supermarkets that are rising all over the country, but specifically in the kosher industry. Let me get rid of the shackles. I don't want to be a Jew. It's much easier to live like Goye Ha'aratzos. But we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu every day. Shaloh Asanu Goye Ha'aratzos. We thank the Ribbonu Shalom and Aleinu every day for not creating us with that kind of value system. Many great people in the world doing all kinds of things. But I don't want that. You know, they once say, I think B'Shem Rav Hutner, what am I supposed to have in mind when I say Shaloh Asani Goy? Every morning. Who, what, what image conjures up in your mind when you think, I'm so thankful, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you didn't make me like this person. Who is that person that you're pointing to when you say Shaloh Asani Goy? What I always thought was, this year I had the pleasure of going to Manhattan. And it's a real pleasure to be in Manhattan these days. So I was in Manhattan twice a week, and I, only, I, I had the great fortune of only having, now that they opened the Grand Central Station, I only had to walk a shorter distance, not because I don't like walking, but because I hate being in the city. But you see all these people lying in the middle of the streets, doing such disgraceful things. That's what I think of when I say, Shalom Asanigoy, thank you for not making me like that. Wrong, says her footner. Of course, who would want to be like that? Everyone from the Ummah Sa'olam gets up every morning and says, thank you for not making me like that also. You don't have to be a Jew to say that. All you have to be is a person who's involved in Yeshua Sha'olam, a person who has a life, a person who has values, and you say to yourself, thank you for not making my life circumstances like that. I don't want to live that kind of life. That's not unique to the Jewish people. Who do you think of? Sedra of Hutner, you think of the most powerful prominent, prestigious, upstanding non-Jew in the world. At the time, he said, you think of a president of the United States. Used to be such a thing, right? So you think of such an upstanding person, whoever that is in your mind. And that's the image you have in your mind every morning when you get up and you thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shalom Asani with all the success that that person has and with all the prestige that they're living and with all the wonderful gifts that they're bringing to the world, I still would not trade in my Jewish identity for all of that because this is worth more to me. Shaloh Asani Goy means I look at the most powerful, the most righteous, the most successful member of the Ummah Sa'olam and I say to myself, I still feel blessed to be part of the Jewish people. Can I say that every morning? Do I really believe that? Or when I see a picture of Bill Gates, I'm actually jealous of him. How do I feel? When I say Shaloh Asanigai, I mean, I wouldn't want to be Bill Gates either. Not because he's a bad person, I don't know. But because I have so much more value in my life because I'm connected to something much better. And with all that he succeeded to accomplish, and with all the great things, I still would never trade this in for anything. If that's what I say every morning, and that's what I feel when I say Shaloh Asani Goy, then what the Rambam describes here is easy. The Rambam says, if you love it so much, and you feel so connected to what it means to live a spiritual life, then of course you would want to share it with other people. The same way a person who's very infatuated with sports wants to share the experience with others. Same way when you go shopping and you're excited about whatever it is that's on the market, you share it with your friends. You talk to them about it. You find a new recipe, you like to cook, you like to bake, you share it with other people. Why? Because it's important to you, because it's exciting to you. And you want to share that experience. Well, that's only if it's something that's exciting to you, will you share it. But if Judaism, if Yiddishkeit is not exciting to you, if you get up every morning and you don't think about Shaloh Asanigai and what that actually means to you, 
then there's nothing to share. I'm stuck in this. I have to wake up every day and daven. Yeah, it's annoying. I would much rather wake up in the morning and do whatever I want. I would much rather go on my vacations and not worry about kosher food. Now you're telling me I'm, I have to limit the places where I can go on vacation because what are we going to do about kosher food? Someone was just talking to me last week about going to Hawaii for Shabbos. I said, listen, going to Hawaii for Shabbos is a major shiloh. It's a major shiloh. It's a shiloh on an Isra Daraisa. It's a shiloh of an Isra Daraisa because we're not sure exactly when, where the dateline Alpi Halacha is. So we're not sure exactly when to keep Shabbos. So where are your values? I'm not saying don't go to Hawaii. There are ways to go to Hawaii. But you want to go for a Shabbos. I understand you want to go. I also want to go for Shabbos. I'm also really interested. But there are some things as a Jew that maybe you can't do. Why? Because my value system tells me that there's something more important than this exciting trip I'm about to make. It's the price that I pay. Is it easier to live life not with Jewish values? For all of us, the answer would probably be yes. Would I trade it in for anything? The person's reaction when we spoke about Hawaii was, so you're telling me I have to like, book the tickets differently? I was like, sort of. You did ask the question, right? I didn't, I didn't proactively ask you where you're going. You asked the question. Are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared to do it because we really care and we don't just see this as a burden? Are we prepared to show that externally? And showing that means we're not bitter about the fact that the Torah gives us guidelines of how we should do things and how we should not do things, of how we can travel, of how we can eat, of how we can do everything. Do I see it as a burden or do I see it as a privilege? If I see it as a privilege, I want to share that with other people. If I see it as a burden, I would tell everyone to run away, not get involved. That's why Avas Hashem's test is, Let's see how much you really love God. You tell me you love God? Let's see how much you love Him. If other people see you and actually are impressed by the meaningful life that you're living and the positive spirit that you live by, then of course, Shem Shamayim Messiah Val Yadcha. That means you really have Avas Hashem, means you really enjoy it. People see it. You know, when Avram Avinu did so much for the world, he was the first believer in God. Imagine if you were trying to figure out, you were God, and you're trying to figure out, like, why would I love Avram Avinu? I would come up with a whole list of reasons of why Avram Avinu should be the beloved individual. Number one, he's the first one that recognized the presence and existence of God. Nobody before him had even understood it. Avram Avinu figured it out on, her own. He, on his own. He intuited the fact that God was in the world. So that's number one. Number two, as we just said, look what he did. He ran the first tier of yeshiva. Look at the chesed he was doing. Look how much he opened his home to other people. Look how much he inspired others. That's not what the Torah says. What does the Torah tell us? Ki yidativ. Why do I love him? You know why I love him? Because he is instructing his children to follow in the Derech Hashem. That's the reason you love Avram Avinu? That's the reason you love Avram Avinu? I think about that Pasuk all the time. My father was interviewed last year, and they asked him, what's your greatest accomplishment in your life? And I thought it was an interesting question to ask him. He has Talmidim all over the world who are Marbitze Torah, who are Rabbanim of Shuls. He's a leader of a major community or many communities. I thought that he would talk about some of that. And he said, I feel my greatest accomplishment in life is that I have nine children and that I brought them up based on the Derech Torah, and all of them are raising families where they feel the same way. Each of us are raising our own families, obviously, with a little variation, but... The fact that all of them are Shomri Torah mitzvahs, he said, to me, is a tremendous accomplishment. Everything else is secondary. I was very moved by it. First of all, the humility. But aside from the humility, that is the greatest accomplishment. So somebody who heard the interview called me and said, what should I do? I have a son who's not from. So I'm a failure. 
Is that what it means? That's not what it means. I said, you can come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu someday and say, you know, my greatest accomplishment is that I loved all my children and I nurtured them and I gave them everything they needed. And that son who really disappointed me, who made his own decisions and did his own thing in life, I still loved him. And I did everything for him. That's our job. That's what we're here for. Everything else we do is secondary. The Rebona Shalom gave me children. It's because he wants me to take care of them, not somebody else. It's my job to take care of them with whatever decisions they make in their lives. It's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's our greatest accomplishment. It's what we should be most proud of. So says Avram Avinu, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu about Avram Avinu, why do I love him? Not because of his kir of yeshiva, not because of all the chesed he did, not because he recognized HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but because he was willing to teach his children that they should go in the same derech that he started, that he began. And by the way, you're correct. He had Yishma. So he also didn't bat 100. He was only batting 50%. But still, look what he created. Look what he gave to his son Yitzhak. So the Dubna Magad has a very interesting muscle to explain it. Where he says, imagine you have an individual whose parents were immigrants. They came after the Holocaust. They had no money. They were just, they didn't speak English. They weren't able to really manage their way around and they were so scarred from their experience and their children as a result of that. It's such a horrible upbringing. Imagine you have such an individual. And because of that, this individual couldn't be schooled, couldn't be educated. And what does he do? When he grows up in life, he also has a family that needs to be taken care of. So what options does that individual have? What can they do? They're not skilled. They're not really literate. So they can't teach and they can't be an accountant. You can't be a lawyer. You can't be a doctor. You can't be a professional. So what options are left for such a person to do in their life to try to take care of their family? He finds out I could be a mail delivery personnel. I can collect the garbage. You don't really need to be so skilled for that. So they get a job in the local municipality, delivering mail, being a UPS driver, being a FedEx delivery personnel, or collecting the garbage. And every month they come home with a paycheck, and it's working. It's working. They're going through life. It's working. Are they happy with the life they're living? Not really. I wish the circumstances would have been different. Now their child is turning 18 years old and looks ahead at a life trying to figure out, what should I do with my life? Goes to his parents for some advice. And what does the parent say? Listen, I don't know what you want to do with your life, but all I can tell you is don't do what I did. Don't make the same mistake that I did. My parents didn't send me to school. I was not educated. I didn't have the opportunities you have. But don't end up being a garbage collector like me. I'm paying the bills, but I don't feel fulfilled. I'm not saying that garbage collectors don't feel fulfilled. I don't know. But I'm just saying, says, says the Dubna Magid, there are people who end up in a position of life. An accountant can feel the same way. They hate what they do. A doctor can feel the same way. But I'm stuck. What can I do? I'm not going to make a new career now. You turn to your child and you say, whatever you decide to do, don't do what I did. Because my life is miserable. I hate this. I don't like the schedule. I don't like the times that I have to go into the office. I don't like I have to be in the hospital 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. The shifts are too difficult. I don't like this line of work. Do anything else in the world. When you have somebody who loves what they do, What's the first thing they're going to tell their children? You're 18 years old and looking at a life ahead of you, trying to figure out what you're going to do as you grow older, as you mature. The answer is do exactly what I did because look how accomplished I feel. Look how fulfilling a life I live. Look how amazing this is that I come home every day and I'm so happy. Wouldn't you want that for your family? Wouldn't you want that for your future? Says the Dubna Magad, that's what it means. You know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Avraham Avinu? Because when Avraham Avinu sat down with his children, trying to chart out their lives and help them to develop, he said to them, there is nothing in life that will give you more fulfillment and more pleasure than choosing the derech that I chose. Lalechaz b'derech Hashem is the greatest opportunity you're going to have in your life. As a result of that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu understood how much Avraham Avinu appreciated it. He didn't feel stuck. He didn't feel shackled. He felt, this is the greatest privilege, and I'm going to ask my children to do the same thing because I love it so much. 
Why would I want my children to have any less of a fulfilling life than I have? And that, says the Dubna Magid, is the real test to see how much do we really appreciate the life that we live. What do we try to infuse into our children when they're thinking about developing, getting older, maturing? What path they should take? What kind of pointers do we give them? What do we encourage them to do? Do we only speak to them about a profession or do we talk to them about what it means to live a meaningful life based on the values of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do? That is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. That's what it means. We say it every day. What do we mean when we say it? We mean, don't just love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Love HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the point that you want to share it with everyone and especially with your own children, especially with your own family. Is there any greater expression of Avas Hashem than that? than to show how much we feel a love for what we do. And says the Rambam here, When you sincerely love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, don't you want to share it? Don't you want to spread it? There's nothing you should want to do more than that. If you love it so much, you want to share it. Of course you want to. Now, one might argue, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a leader, I'm not an educator. I'm a quiet person. Obviously, this instruction is not meant for me, but yet you say Kriyashma every day. So what does it mean? Says the Ramchal. Let's look carefully at the Mesilas Yisharm. Says the Ramchal as follows. Vahainyan. Shekol adam lefi madregaso lefi mashahu nechsha be'enei hadar. This is not the place for modesty, says the Ramchal. You can be modest in many other areas of life. But don't think that nobody ever watches you. Don't think that nobody ever looks at you. Don't think that nobody ever takes a cue from the life that you're living, even if you don't think they're watching. Says the Ramchal. Yes, am I as great as Moshe Rabbeinu? Or as Rabbi Yosef Karo? Or as Rabbi Kiva Eger? Of course not. But in our generation, I have an opportunity to make a difference. In my family, I have an opportunity to make a difference. In my community. When I go out onto the street, people are looking at me. I can make a difference. People are watching me. Says the Ramchal. You have to look at it in every generation. Sarach she is bonen. You need to understand. Every person needs to understand. A person of your stature has to realize that what you do matters. It matters to other people. They are watching. Somebody is watching. Not HaKadosh Baruch Hu. People are watching. And they're going to walk away with an impression. I happen to notice things. I don't know, maybe I notice too much, but I, I notice things. I try to take a walk with my wife every day. It doesn't always work out. And yes, some people like to take pictures of us taking walks. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I don't know what's so exciting about a husband and wife taking a walk. I don't know. So at nights, I'm, I'm very busy and very often out of the house. So I try when the babysitter leaves every day at two o'clock. I try to take a walk with my wife. If you want to know our route, you can meet us from two to three every day. So, I find it very interesting. As we walk, I love to walk, like, in the community. First of all, people should see that it's good for a husband and wife to spend time together. That, to me, is the most valuable thing. So you can give a thousand speeches, and you can stand up and talk about everything. But show that you're giving your spouse time is more important than any speech you're going to give. To me, it's important that our community sees these things. I can't tell you how many people have told me they've watched my parents walk in Washington Heights, young men and women who go on dates and whatever, they see my parents, they say, we, like, we were so uncomfortable, we saw Schefter walking with, with his wife. I said, why were you uncomfortable? What's so crazy about that? Why are they not allowed to take a walk together? Isn't that a good thing? And then they were like holding hands, it was like so, you know. My father has told me in the past that like, they don't walk around holding hands and hugging each other all the time. But he said sometimes when he's in front of the boys, he will go out of his way to do it to show, yes, it's nice to love your spouse. And it's nice to take a walk and spend time together. And as busy as you are, you should make time for each other. So that's first of all. What I enjoy most about being around people is you get to hear, you know, you pick up conversations of things that are going on. Yes. People who walk down Central Avenue talk on the phone as they're walking. 
And yes, we can hear you. Just letting you know, we can hear you. We hear your conversations. And I'm always amazed to hear it. I'm amazed to watch, you know, when somebody's walking with a child and the child starts acting like a child, right? Like children do. And you see the parents screaming at their kids, like hollering at their kids. And I always want to stop and just say, like, do you think this is healthy? Like, were you never a child when you were younger? Did you never have a tantrum like this kid is having? So I enjoy watching those things. But what I enjoy watching is when I think about it, I wonder. You know, I'm part of the Jewish community and I see the beauty of what the Jewish community represents. But there are many people who walk down Central Avenue who really don't know what our community is about. Maybe they're visiting for the first time. Maybe they're not really familiar with the ins and outs. I always wonder, like, what do they think when they watch this? Like, what do they think when they see you double parking and blocking all the traffic and running into a store? Like, really, what do they think? So I think, you, you know, you're just an insensitive person who doesn't realize that you're really being annoying. But what do they think? I'm not talking about non-Jews. I'm talking about Jews who come from Teaneck, New Jersey, to visit us. Like, what do they think when they come here and see our idiosyncrasies? What is their feeling when they walk away? What is their feeling when they overhear a conversation that somebody who's walking down Central is having with whoever's on the other end? Do they think you're a happy person? Do they think you're kind and considerate? Do they think you're a good person? Do they walk away saying like, wow, this town is nuts. Like these people are crazy. I never want to move here. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Take notice. Next time you walk down Central, do what I do. Let's just do it once, that's all. Start listening to what's going on. Start like watching what's happening and ask yourself just, if I didn't live in the five towns, would I think this is normal? Ask yourself that question. Would I think that we've come to think it's normal, but it's really not so normal? Would I think this is normal? Would I think this is acceptable behavior? Or would I say like, wow, this is really not something that seems normal at all? That's the question. Says the Ramchal, you think nobody's watching you? Yes. Shai Shechter who's walking down Central Avenue is watching you and is learning from your behavior. If nobody else. Says the Ramchal, all of us are leaders. All of us give off an impression to other people. We think about Chilul Hashem, you know, we talk about before the kids go out on the bus to go to the amusement park, oh, don't forget a Chilul Hashem and say thank you and clean up your garbage and whatever. It's very nice, right? What does the Torah say about Yisrael? Our first priority needs to be in the Jewish community. What do other Jews think about me? Yisrael is the source for the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem. And the first primary obligation is what do other Jews think about my behavior? What is their reaction? What is their response? What do my children think about how I behave? That's like Yisrael. That's where it's at. You know that the first instruction that we were given post Kabbalah Satora was what? Shuvu lachem la'ahalechem. You had this amazing spectacle. You had the opportunity to be in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to hear His voice. Now God says, go back to your own homes. Let's see if you can implement it into your house. Can you figure out how to live a life in your house that's based on the values of everything I just shared with you? What do your children think? What do people who walk by you think when they hear your conversations? What do people feel? I take the Long Island Railroad. I'm sure many of us have taken it. You overhear conversations that go on on there. You see people's behaviors. You know, I was on the Long Island Railroad last week, actually going to the graduation, the YU graduation. There were many people on here who were on the same train, right? And... You weren't on my car. You're lucky. You picked a different car. So, you know, the ticket master was coming around, collecting the tickets. Anyway, I happened to be sitting right across from the bathroom. And all of a sudden, he takes out a key, opens up the bathroom, and starts hollering on the top of his lungs. There were three people in the stall, obviously trying to evade the ticket. I don't know. I don't know how he knew they were in there. And he was yelling at them. I was like so ashamed. I didn't, I didn't even know where to put myself. So I like, I got up. I just started walking away. And one of the kids screams out to me. He says, it's geschmack to be a yid, right? I said, it's geschmack to be a yid. 
That's not Chilul Hashem in front of non-Jews. That's Chilul Hashem like, I'm ashamed to be affiliated with you. Like, I'm embarrassed. So I told a guy, I said to the conductor, if they don't have money to pay, like, I got them. I was just so embarrassed. I didn't even know what to say. He's like, do you know these kids? I'm like, no. I didn't see from their appearance that they were Jewish, but obviously, I don't think many non-Jews say, Gishmak to be a Yid, I don't think. But, but think about, like, somebody who sees this, what do they think of us? Like, forget the Geneva, whatever. That's, like, another step. But, like, what do people think? Is this normal behavior? Is this, is this behavior that's acceptable anywhere else in the world? What do people say about you? They want to affiliate with your community when this is how you behave? It, it was shocking to me. But that's our job, to live a life of Kiddush Hashem. To live a life of Shem Shamayim Mis'ayim Al Yadcha. You know, the Chafetz Chaim was asked, it's quoted in his biography. Chafetz Chaim was once asked by his children that they almost felt bad for their father. You know, you were so accomplished and you wrote the Shemir Salashan and you wrote the Mishnabura and you worked so hard. And look what you did. You created the Mishnabura that all of us learn from and, and live by every day of our lives. Does anybody out there actually realize how hard you worked at this? Like, it doesn't say it in your bio anywhere. Like, the Chafetz Chaim spent X amount of years working on this project and this is what it cost and this is what he did. It doesn't say it anywhere. Right? Inspiration for the nation did not interview him. And ask him, you know, how much did you work on this? And what time did you go to sleep at night? Right? Like all the important questions that are asked these days. So they said, like, they felt bad for the Chafetz Chaim. And they approached their father and they asked him, like, you worked so hard and now everyone sees the finished product. Like, don't you feel a little bad that nobody really appreciates how much work you put into it? And he said to him as follows. I'm going to read from the biography. What do I care if people appreciate how hard I worked or not? If people don't thank me and if people don't appreciate all the effort that went into this, what's the difference? Do you think the only reason why I worked so hard to create this is because I need people to appreciate it and pat me on the back? The whole objective of my life is only to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Tachlis, did I do something in the world to make that objective, to make that dream move forward? Did I bring Kabbat Hashem to the world by writing the Mishnabura? Yes. Does everybody appreciate how much I worked on it? No. Does it matter? No. Because you met the goal. The goal is to bring about a sense of Kavod Shamayim, of Abbas Hashem, which is what the goal of all of our lives is. Rav Salavechik has an absolutely beautiful, beautiful discussion where he talks about a Gemara. The Gemara has an interesting point that is made. The Gemara uses a derogatory term every so often, a very demeaning term, called an Am Ha'aretz. And the Gemara talks down about a person who's an Am Ha'aretz. Ask the Gemara Masechus Brachas Memzain Ezehu Am Ha'aretz. Who is classified, who is categorized as the great Am Ha'aretz? What does that mean? How do you get that classification? Says the Gemara, perhaps it means Misha Enomaniach Tfilin, someone who doesn't put a mezuzah on his door, maybe somebody who doesn't wear tzitzis. Kol Mishiyesh Lobanav Enomagadlin the Talmud Torah. If you have children and you don't send them to school and you're not going to educate them, that's an Am Ha'aretz. That's a person who doesn't appreciate what Jewish life is all about. Then the Gemara says, a very shocking and unexpected answer to this question. Who is the Am Ha'aretz that we talk so down upon? Says the Gemara. Somebody who's afilu kara, vishana, somebody who's extremely learned, somebody who's very well versed, somebody who knows a lot. But lo shimish tamid If you have not had exposure to tamid chachamim in your life, you're an Am Ha'aretz. Which is fascinating. It means I can do everything perfectly. I can be a person of tremendous erudition. I can be a God-fearing Jew. But still I'm called an Amharitz. Not because I'm ignorant, not because I'm negligent, but because I was never Meshamish Tamine Chacham. 
Now, how do you understand that? Why should that be the case? Explains Rav Soloveitchik so beautifully. We're all familiar with the terms derech hachayim, a derech haTorah, the derech Hashem. I recently heard a talk by a phenomenal uh, mechanech. He was speaking at the Torah Masora convention. I saw a video of it. I forgot his name. It's just, it just slips my mind. Miller. Rabbi Miller, thank you. How do you know? He was phenomenal. Phenomenal talk. I would really suggest others listen to it, even if you're not in this field of education. He used to be the Mashgiach in the Gates at Yeshiva, and then he moved to Detroit, and now I think he has the Yeshiva there, but he speaks all over the place. Really, he has a phenomenal understanding of the current educational framework and infrastructure that we have here in the United States. And he said, you know, there's so much discussion about children who are off the derech and so much concern about it. And he said, I'm embarrassed to say, but maybe we've made the derech too narrow. It's very hard to stay on a derech that's so narrow, like someone's going to fall off. Maybe it's important for us to just make a few more lanes on the highway. There's a lot of traffic on the highway. So people start taking side routes because there's no other way to get to the goal, to the destination. Maybe we need to widen the highway a little bit in order that people should feel that they have a place on the derech, that they have the opportunity to travel on that derech. I was very taken by his perspective and by his whole talk that he gave. But that's what Rav Soloveitchik speaks about. The derech hachayim that we speak about, the derech ha-Torah. So everybody needs to travel on that path. When I need to get somewhere, I turn on my ways, I turn on Google Maps, and it shows me how to get to my destination. And I follow every turn that it tells me to make. I don't know where I'm going, but I follow because I trust that it's given me the right instructions. When you talk about a derech hachayim, when you talk about traveling on the highway of life, so what map are you going to follow? Says of Salavetric, the map is the Shulchan Aruch. You may not always understand it, you may not always appreciate it, but that's the roadmap. That tells you how to get from the first point of your departure to the destination that you're trying to travel to. Now, we all travel on that same derech. The Hasidim and the Misnagdim and the Lubavitch and the Tzioni Dati and the everybody else, everyone travels on the same derech and we all follow the same Shulchan Aruch, Right? We all blow the same shofar, and we all shake the same lulav, and we all daven the same davening. Everything's the same. Small variations, but everything's the same. So what is the difference between the Hasidim and the Misnagdim for an example? Just as an example of two different groups, but not specific to them. What is the difference between this community and that community, the yeshivish community and the modern orthodox community and this? What's the difference? We're all following the same Shulchan Aruch. We're all making mistakes along the way. Nobody's perfect. So what is the difference? The difference is in the style of travel. Instead of Soloveitchik, when you travel on the highway, you look around at the cars that are driving. Some cars are very difficult to drive next to. Other cars are a pleasure to drive with. Some people are driving below the speed limit and other people are driving way above the speed limit and endangering other people's lives. It's the same in the Derech HaChaim. We all follow the same rules and we're all supposed to go to the same destination. We're all walking on the same path of life to get us to a certain place in the end. But the difference is in the style of travel. How do you travel? What's your style when you're going through that derech? That's really what the difference is. And in here lies what he says is the difference between a person who's an Amha'aretz, who the Gemara brands as this demeaning term. Kara vishana, you're very learned and you know everything and you're really observing all the mitzvahs and you're doing everything that the Shulchan Aruch says, but lo shimesh chachamim, if you have not experienced from a person who knows how to travel that derech, if you never took driver's ed, then you don't know how to drive. You can get behind the wheel and try to figure it out, but nobody's going to want to drive next to you. So when we talk about a derech ha-Torah, a derech ha-Chayim, part of our understanding is that we need to not just travel on that derech, but how we travel. How do we navigate? What is our style of travel is very important for all of us to be able to answer.
What is the derech hachaim that we all aspire toward? Is it one of ahavtas Hashem elokecha b'chal levavcha b'chal nafshecha b'chal miyodecha? Is it a style of travel that shem shamayim is misahev al yadcha? Is it a style of travel that when other people see how we travel, they say, wow, I want to be like that driver. I want to be like that person because look at the pleasant way that they live life, that they navigate life. I mention all of this because, that was all an introduction. I mention all of this because we spoke the last two weeks about different messages from Megillas Rus. And when you think about one perspective of the story, I'm just going to end with this. You ask yourself, how does a woman of nobility, a princess, who's living the great life, living the dream, how does she make a decision to come and be a part and affiliate with the Jewish people? How did that happen? So it's because she had an opportunity to be in the presence of Naomi. And the Medrash asks us, why was her name Naomi? Because she was Noam b'ma'aseha. Because her whole demeanor was sweet and pleasant. People like to be around those who are pleasant. It's not enjoyable to be around people who are always negative. Who don't give us a positive feeling when we walk away from them. We don't like to be around such people. We distance ourselves from them. It's annoying. We don't want to marry them. We don't want to have relationships with them. It's a burden. It's a, it's a strain. An emotional drain for us to be around such people. Why did Ruth make a decision that she wanted to come and be a part of the Jewish people? Because she met a woman whose name was Naomi, who was Noam B'ma'aseha. It's as simple as that. She was Noam B'ma'aseha. And that's what attracted her. We can have all the philosophical discussions in the world. We can talk from today till tomorrow about the proofs of why God exists and why He doesn't. And why it's important to observe Shabbos and why it's important to do this or to do that. There is nothing that will make a person feel more interested in connecting. And this doesn't go for those who are not observant. It goes for our own children, for our grandchildren. There is nothing that will want to make them feel the urgency to connect more than seeing how pleasant a life we live. To be noam b'ma'aseha, to show our children that the Torah life is that's really what it is. And if we can't show that to them, then why should they want to have a part of this? Who wants to be part of something that is not positive? Nobody enjoys that. We don't enjoy it in any other area of life, so why do we expect that our children, if all they see from us is negativity, if all they see from us is that we feel this is all a burden on ourselves, and all we're doing is fetching about this part of our community and that part of the community and bashing this one and smashing the other one, why should they want to be a part of it? Then the community is so terrible, why should I want to be affiliated with any of this? And what inspired me about all this was, look what happened. Naomi was just being herself. She was being herself. She was living life, not doing anything differently than she otherwise would have. She was just being walking down Central Avenue with her husband and just being. And look what you can do. You can be the one who inspires the birth of Mashiach. That's what the end of the story was. Rus affiliates with the Jewish people. Rus is the one who then gives birth to David HaMelech, who was the father of Mashiach. All because a woman out there who maybe wasn't so learned, who maybe didn't know everything. We don't know anything else about her. What we know is the most important thing about her, that she was noam b'ma'aseha, that she was pleasant to be around. And if you're pleasant to be around, who doesn't want to be around you? Even if it means a life-changing experience that they're going to go through. Even if it means a total transformation to take upon yourself a life of Torah and mitzvahs, but yet, I'll do it if it's going to bring me to a point where I can be like you. That's the inspiration that we can take from that small interaction between Rus and Naomi, that small decision that really was a humongous decision that changed the Jewish people forever. 
It all started from a person who made sure that they understood their obligation of a person who understood that the only way to show the greatest expression of Avas Hashem, the greatest level of showing Avas Hashem is to show other people how beautiful this lifestyle is to the point that they're jealous that they're not a part of it. I was just talking to someone uh, two nights ago. We were having a conversation about something totally unrelated to this, but she said, you know, we're talking about something negative. Let me tell you something positive. She told me that she works in a non-Jewish environment in the Board of Ed. And she said that she was working with a with a non-Jewish woman, a lovely woman who's a Ukrainian. And this Ukrainian woman was talking to her about how her church that has, I forgot, I think 40 families were trying to put together some money to help some of the relatives who were stuck in Ukraine figure out what to do for them. And she was saying how, you know, we don't have an infrastructure like you Jewish people have. We just don't have this. And she started saying, you know, I'm on the board of ed and I service a lot of Jewish families. And I've seen Hatzalah show up. I've heard the families talk about Biker Cholim in the hospital. No community has such a thing. They started getting into a conversation. And they started talking about how often young couples move to Israel after the wedding. They go for a year or two sometimes. So she said, so what do they do? They, like, they get married and then they don't go on the plane the next day. So what happens in the interim? So she said, we have this concept of chasn and kala apartments. And this woman turned to her and said, how has your community thought of everything? How have you thought of everything? And it was a beautiful story. Our community has thought of everything. And it's something that maybe we don't focus on enough. We don't pay enough attention to the fact that our community just does everything. It's beautiful. It's amazing. This whole concept of gemachs and helping out in all these different ways. We do it. We should be proud of it. Those are the things we should be talking to our children about. If outsiders can see the beauty of Hatzalah, can see the beauty of Biker Cholam, can see the beauty of Hassan and Kala apartments, and that's three examples of a million others. But if outsiders can see it, we have to see it. We have to focus on it. We have to be a part of it. And that's the greatest inspiration to other people. Our children will want to be a part of this if they see the beauty of what our community represents, of what we stand for, of what we are. And this is who we are. This is what we are. People who are noem b'ma'asenu, people who are sweet and pleasant and kind and show that our religion is something that is worth being a part of. That's what it means every day when we say, v'ahavtas Hashem alokecha v'chalavavcha v'chal nafshecha v'chal miyodecha. Mir Tzashem, we should have the opportunity to do that. In everything that we do,